Oh, it's press box chatter in ten minutes or less. Oh, it's press box chatter with Rhino and the Birdman. This interview. Okay, uh, welcome to a special episode of Pressbox Chatter. We've decided to switch things up a little bit today. Uh, we have our first ever guest on the show. Uh, we're very pleased to welcome Dan Roberts. Dan is the English language radio play-by-play -play voice of the Montreal Canadiens and also does television broadcasts as required. And I was also his bartender once at Duke and Divines. <laughs> I remember. Dan, yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, my pleasure. Good to be here. Yeah, so um, before we get started here, I'm just going to take a minute and tell you what our podcast actually is. So Sam and I, um, we love writing, hockey, and laughing. Um, and so we combined all three of those um, elements and we came up with our show Pressbox Chatter, which is, uh, like Sam said, it's a 10-minute ten, ten uh, satirical hockey podcast. We script each show, then we perform it and uh, produce it. Um, so in that sense, you know, I, I think we're that's what we want to go for something unique and that's what we're trying to do um and so yeah today we're, we're gonna just ask ask you some questions this is kind of the interview side to us um just to pick your brain you know see what type of okay. experiences you've had in the industry stuff like that and um practice interviewing people ourselves so um with that we'll uh, jump right into it and we were hoping just to get us started off here you said you were from nova scotia can you just tell us a little bit about your upbringing and why you fell in love, uh, why you fell in love with hockey and what Nova Scotia means to you? Yeah, I'm from Trenton, Nova Scotia, which is a town, I think it was like 3,500 when I was there, but it's down to probably 2,900 now. It's on the North Shore. And uh, yeah, I was just like so many other Canadian kids and North American kids. I played a lot of hockey and a lot of sports when I was young, and I was a pretty good hockey player, I suppose. Uh, and then I... I guess like everybody else too, I watched a lot of Hockey Night in Canada and that sort of seeped into my brain and I ended up going to university and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I ended up getting a uh, my Bachelor of Arts with a major in English and then I think one day I was, um, actually I had a job as a security guard for a while in Vancouver just to kill time and try and figure out the next move and then I came back to Halifax and a friend of mine said, there's a broadcasting school just uh, just down the block. And I, I guess I'd been thinking about giving that a try. I remember watching Sports Center or whatever it was back then and thinking, I could probably talk about sports for a living. So ended up uh, getting into school and um, didn't really think of play-by-play -play right away. Uh, that kind of fell into my lap. But uh, I first worked in radio news and uh, probably like Sam's dad did way back when. And then... Kind of went on from there, and uh, yeah, it's been a say a bit of a long road. I was probably by the time I got into sports broadcasting, I was probably thirty years old. But uh, it's it's been a, a fun ride to, to get to where I am right now. Not to say that that's anything special, but it's I've had a lot of good experience along the way. When you say um, when you say play by play, kind of fell into your lap. What do you mean by that? Like, how did you um, how did you get started in that? Well, the job that I had at CJFX in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, I used to read the news and read the sports. And then I ended up getting married, and my wife at the time was living in Denver. Uh, so I moved there, and I didn't work. Couldn't get a green card. Came back, and I still I had a, a 
actually a cassette of a five-minute radio sportscast that I read. So when we moved back to Halifax, I went to Eastlink TV, which is a community station. And uh, I went in and met the, the boss there, Brett Smith, who's still a good friend of mine. And I gave it to him, and he liked it. And he said, there's an opening for to do uh, color commentary on the Halifax Mooseheads games. It was really... I don't want to say low-grade stuff, but it was we would record the game and then show it the next morning at 7 o'clock. So you can imagine how great the ratings were at, at 7 a.m. But uh, that, that was kind of a way to get started. And then one day, uh, one of the guys called and said, the play-by-play guy, Brad McCon at the time, he can't make it. So I said, okay, I'll give it a go. And uh, that first game, one of the players slid uh, into the inboards and kicked a hole in the boards. And it took them 20 minutes to fix it. And I was just kind of left to my own devices. I can remember that, and you know, basically told every story that I, that I had ever learned or every experience that I'd ever had. But so that's kind of how I got into it. And then it was, um, I started doing hockey and then uh, I did football and basketball, uh, primarily did some soccer too. Although with basketball, football and soccer, I did, you know, I never came, tried to come across as an expert. I wasn't, but it was fun, and I, I learned a lot, and I think they're all kind of interrelated. So that's sort of how I got into play-by-play. How did you, like, how did you make your way up to, now you're at an NHL level. Um, is it like a similar process to how NHL players just kind of have to climb the ranks to make it up there? Is that how you were able to get to where you are now? Yeah, it was for me. So I did those broadcasts that I was telling you about with Eastlink, and then a, a job came up with the Moncton Wildcats of the Quebec League just to do their road games. So I had three jobs at the time, well, including that. I would drive from Halifax to Moncton, get on the bus with the guys. Uh, Corey Crawford was on that team. He was a 16-year-old. He just retired, so that makes me feel really old. <laughs> uh, Steve Bernier was on that too. Bernier was the first-round pick of the Sharks. I think he's still playing overseas somewhere. So that that was that. Um, and then after that, a full-time gig opened up with Eastlink. So it was a lot of Quebec League hockey, a lot of university hockey and football and basketball, like I said. And all, of, all along the, the, the way, I was applying for jobs anytime I would find out about them. So, you know, I applied for play-by-play job with the Devils on radio uh, with – it would have been Phoenix back then. I applied for a hosting job with Tampa and – you know, at one point, I gave myself sort of a deadline of 40 years old. I thought, if I don't make it by 40 uh, at the NHL level, I'll find something else to do. I was All of a sudden, I was 40, and I thought, I don't know what else to do, so I'll just keep doing this. And I enjoyed it, uh, but then things changed in 2014. Uh, basically, I found out about the, the job opening uh, at TSN 690. I made a call. Uh, sent an email actually, and, and the boss said, uh, "Send me, you know, an example of your work, and I'll get back to you tomorrow." So I sent it right away, and he called me about ten minutes later. So I kind of knew um, that he liked what he saw, and uh, yeah, it was it was a quick process from there, and I got the job. When you were um, getting started, just like in the Quebec League and in the, in the minor leagues, I guess it would be um, like, what are some of the things you were you were learning or teaching yourself about the job? Because there's no really um, like play-by-play school or like, you know, like, um, I, I guess like nothing to necessarily teach you. I, a lot of it would be self-taught or from others. What are some key things that you learned while you were starting out and then eventually getting to TSN? No, that's a good point, Ryan. It is true. It's, I don't know if you can teach somebody to do play-by-play. I, I think you can obviously give them tips and pointers, uh, from your own experience, but it, it was, sort of trial by fire and, and I remember doing those games with Moncton you go on the road and I'd be my own technician I had a little soundboard and I'd be hanging microphones and and that was fun too uh, I guess one big thing I used to do a lot and I don't do it as much anymore I should was just do air checks of myself and think 
just kind of distance myself and think, okay, if I was listening to somebody else, if, if I pretended that I was someone else, would I like what I'm hearing? Uh, what do I have to do to get better? And I suppose over the years I've, I've watched so many hockey games and, and other sports too that you pick up enough from really good play-by-play guys and you kind of assimilate some of their style into your own, I think. And uh, But that was it. it um, I, I mentioned Brett Smith, who was my boss at Eastlink. He didn't, I mean, he was no expert, although he, he was like anybody else. He watched a lot of TV. He knew what he liked, an excellent TV director. But uh, I got a lot of reps in, and I... I I don't. I guess I was self-taught in a way, right? You just kind of pick somebody's brain if there's someone to pick. But I didn't really know anybody, so I just I, I felt that I was on the right path. Um, I actually in 2010. Uh, the long story. I, I forgot about this, but in 2005, a friend of mine knew. Um, a, he was the executive producer at uh, Hockey Night in Canada at the time when CBC had it, and. Uh, I sent him a tape. I, I got a contact with him, and they ended up hiring Jim Houston. But uh, he said, "You know, you were shortlisted for the job." He said, "You were down to the final three. So I was 35, and I thought, "Okay, I'm, I'm probably on the right path here." Um, so I just—that's what it was. Though, a lot of self-reflection and, and air checks. But you're right. Like if I was to, if you guys were to ask me how to do play-by-play. You know, I could maybe listen to a tape if you've done some and try and help you along the way. But it's pretty hard to teach somebody, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no like, I mean, like there's no textbook for it that you can kind of study and figure out how to do it. Right. Do you, do you feel like maybe um, you said you graduated with a Bachelor of Arts and you majored in English? Do you think that might have helped you with like kind of putting together your wording when you're doing play by play? I don't know about that, but it, it, it all speaks to sort of, um, uh, I guess, my background. Like when I was a kid, I read everything I could get my hands on and 99% of it was sports related sports biographies and, and whatever but I, I do think if you're i'm a decent writer too i think uh, and I, I think it's all interrelated so it's all kind of language driven uh, and if i if i spoke like some you know toothless hillbilly then uh, chances are i wouldn't get the job although you never know i might <laughs> it might be the the greatest thing since sliced bread but there is something to that yeah. Uh, sorry for all the toothless hillbillies out there. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know how many toothless hillbilly listeners we got. So, or even toothed hillbillies. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. What about um? You said you know you only got your break like much later in life, which is yeah. I, in some respects, I guess it's unique. Um, I I don't know when other people get their breaks, but. Over all those years, what is it that uh, kept you motivated? Was there, was there something, someone, or was it just a sense of, like like you said before, I'm on the right track? I, I always thought that if, you know, I got to 60 years old, 55 years old, and I never got a crack at the NHL, I would, I would be disappointed. And I don't mean for this to sound egotistical, but I, I, I thought that I belonged. I, I thought I was good enough to do that, so... I mean, that was part of it. And the other part was, and I, and I liked my other job that I had too. I don't want to make it seem like it was uh, onerous or anything like that. There was a lot of travel and it was getting a little bit repetitive, but I, I just, I kind of had that challenge in my head. So, so that was it. And, and uh, it, I, you know, I used to play strange games with myself. I guess I, the way my schedule used to be, I would work a hockey game Friday and then um, I would eventually Saturday have whatever football, basketball, or hockey, and I'd get home for hockey night in Canada. And lots of times I'd sit there and think, you know, I might not be quite as good as this guy, but I don't think I'm far off. And then I think, 
well, maybe I'm just delusional. Am I crazy? Do I, do I actually suck and I don't know the difference? But uh, I, I think you have to believe in yourself no matter what you do. As uh, hokey as that sounds, I think it is true. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I find like seminar just getting started on this process of um, making your own podcast. But really, I, I feel like it's more of a show, the way we script it and perform and, um, you know, add in all our audio stuff. And I think like one of the things, um, you know, we probably both think is like, are other people laughing when they when they listen to it? Like, right. we know our friends laugh. They tell us they laugh. Um, and we know we definitely laugh a lot while making it. But there's always that sense of like, you know am I actually good or, or am I, you know, um, yeah. just, uh, I guess, I don't know what the right word is. But or like how I close just... are we to being, you know, what right. we want to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's normal though. Right. That's human nature. I, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I mean, I've, people have asked me in the past, I had a, a, a friend I actually went to broadcasting school with and, uh, his son, uh, and I, we, we spoke on the phone and it was a project he was doing. He wants to get into this line of work. And, uh, he said, you know, if, if I work hard enough, can I get to the top? And I said, not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't believe in, if you keep working hard, you're going to go where you want. Well, I can work as hard as I want. I'm, I'm never going to be a champion high diver, you know, like you have to have some <laughs> kind of skill of what you're doing. So I just, yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean to burst his bubble and I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble, but it's common sense, right? If, mm -hmm. if I had the worst voice on the planet and I couldn't string two words together, I could try as hard as I wanted and I'm not going to get anywhere. So I think you have to have that self-awareness that, uh, okay, I, I am, I, I do have sort of a knack for this. And then if you, if you love it and you work hard, then, you know, eventually I think you're going to find something. I know mm -hmm. the landscape's changed. I mean, I'm 51 and uh, there weren't podcasts when I was your age. And so now, but the, I mean, the whole business is just on its ear, but uh, it, it's good to have the opportunity that you guys do like this, I think, to kind of get yourself out there and keep working on on where you're trying to, to go uh, ultimately. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say, I just, I love the honesty because we're going to ask you some questions in, in okay. a few minutes about, know like the future of the the sport industry and i find you know people can can sugarcoat it sometimes or sugarcoat things and and you know i just think the honesty is, is important when we yeah. talk to you know people in industry we yeah we want to know what the truth is about whether it's you know um how to get to where you want to be or um what the lands or what the future of the landscape may be so i appreciate that yeah no Cause, problem because people can say well you know work hard and do anything you want but it's uh it's important to know you know what to actually expect like i mean ryan said we get we'd get into it into a few minutes but i don't see why we wouldn't ask you now like where do you yep. think the future of like sports broadcasting is going you know given all the cuts that there were at bell recently uh the, the last month or so what direction do you think it's heading in the, the whole industry yeah i i wonder um for a lot of reasons uh, is it will it be on, I mean, in five years, will it be on television anymore? Will everything just be streamed? I read an article and I wish I, I remember where I found it and uh, it kind of shook me a little bit, but it didn't, it shouldn't have. And I think the, the guy wrote, you know, in 10 years, will there even be radios? I mean, I do radio play by play primarily. And I thought, well, that's crazy. Then I thought, well, is it, I mean, yeah, we all have our, you know, our Bluetooth speakers and we stream everything. Now, that's not to say that broadcasting like hockey games or whatever, I think there'll always be a spot for that, you know, whether it's streamed or not. I'm just thinking along the lines of 
everyday uh, radio like we've known it for the last 100 years. But I know that's kind of not uh, the question you're asking. It, it is a little bit scary, though. I mean, it, it's I mean, what's going on right now with um, with the pandemic like last week um, and I've done it all along. Any road games, we do it from the studio. Whereas before, I, I, when things are normal, I travel with the team and you're in the rink and you can actually see what's going on. Last week, I did a TV game uh, at the TSN studio in Toronto and the game was in Winnipeg. And uh, it's not ideal, but I look at it and think, you know, somebody's saving a lot of money here by doing this. And I get that. So I don't know. It, it's, uh, I don't know if scary is the right word. I mean, things are always going to evolve, but it's pretty hard for me to predict uh, what to expect over the next few years. Mm-hmm. What's it, what's it? Oh, Ryan, did you want to go? Well, I was just going to ask, you know, on the on the whole comment about, you know, you're now calling the games from um, you're, you're not at the game, basically. Um, just road like, games, yeah. Yeah, or road games. Um, yep. What's that? What's that been like um, just to like not actually be in the atmosphere, or, you know, at the rink? Like, does it take away from this? Just curiosity. Does it take yeah. away from anything that you do when you actually call in the game? A little bit. I mean, the atmosphere isn't there anyway because there's no fans. But just um, so you're watching, like I'm watching a game like you would on TV. We're watching the same thing. And if mm-hmm. uh, if the producer is late or whatever, they're late coming back from commercial. And the, the other night that, that happened, um, I can't remember who was uh, producing the game um, but uh, or what network it was on, but the puck was dropped and they were still in a replay. Somebody hit the crossbar and I didn't know. I mean, I saw it later in the replay. I, and actually, I could hear it because um, the the ice sound, that we have that in our headset. And I hear ding, and they're still showing like a player, I don't know, profile or something like that. So those things can happen. And it you can't see the play develop uh, the way you would like to. Uh, but you know what? I look at it and think, I'm lucky just to be calling games right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's sitting in the studio or whatever. So it's not perfect, but it, it's understandable. Yeah. And when you do like um when you do the home games i know last night you did the game i watched yeah. it, the game with uh versus ottawa what's it like to do those games with without having fans there does that take away from you know your level of i don't know energy or excitement when you're doing the play by play it does it's it's really hard to get used to i mean the first time i noticed it i i think it would have been the either the season home opener or the second game when the Canadians score, and usually there's 21,000 people there, right away there's, you know, or from whatever net it is, from behind the net, everybody sees it. Well, somebody scored. It might have been Gallagher. And the red light goes on. And then, you know, a second later, he puts his hand in the air, and you're thinking, he just scored. And it's not, I mean, it's about that much of a difference in time, but it's it's just a strange sensation. And, you know, especially with... Um, I shouldn't say especially, but with radio primarily, you can, I like to use the crowd to sort of enhance things. So, um, you know, it's, it makes for great sound and I, I've always loved to listen to games on radio. Uh, but when the fans are into it, it, it's such a big component of, of what we're trying to do. And yeah, they, they pipe the, the fake noise in there and yeah. I mean, they're doing what they can, but it's it's just not the same thing. So it's an adjustment for everybody. It's like I said, it's not ideal, but you try to work with it as best you can. Yeah. Um. Speaking of just calling the games in general, Sam and I are obviously a duo, and I know um, I grew up listening to um, the TSN radio so much, and I know Sir, you and Sergio Mameso are a great duo too. I'm just wondering, 
you know, what is the importance of, of having a good partner and, and what, what do they bring to you and what do you bring to them? Well, it's good and it takes a while to have a good partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, I think just from timing, you know, I mean, he and I have worked together for so long. Uh, you get used to each other's rhythm. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know when he sort of knows when to come in, when not to come in. Uh, like, for example, on the other side of it, I worked with Dave Poulin last night. And I've worked with Dave before, but it and and I love working with him. But it's it's different. You just no matter who you are, uh, it takes a while to get that sort of a I don't know synergy or or whatever you want to call it, some big fancy word. But it's it, it grows over time. And and you know, I mean, he and I, Sergio, we have a similar sense of humor, and sometimes we lean on that maybe too much sometimes, especially the late night games when we're giddy and it's like midnight in Vancouver, but uh, no, it, it's a big part of it. And I think it's, it's something you can only get used to through repetitions, right? You do it over and over again and, and you kind of catch on to the other guy's cadence and, and what, um, I mean, I know with, with Sergio, I'm the guy who's going to tell you um, that uh, Drake Batherson has scored goals in six straight games. He's not going to do that. I know that's going to be me. He's going to just stick to breaking down the play. So you kind of get used to things over time. Mm -hmm. so are you the one that kind of has to do you give most of those stats then like the you know like what you just said there the drake batherson yeah. stat or any other like stat that a, a listener or a viewer might you know find interesting or fascinating is that kind of your uh your job on like on the call uh officially no but it, it's what i do uh, it's that's something that's changed over the years like if you ever listen to a bob cole game you'll never would never hear bob cole say and Matt Sundin, he has 13 goals in his last 12 games. He wasn't going to do that. He's just going to say, here's Sundin. You know, like he just stuck mm -hmm. to the play-by-play. -play and the whistle would blow and he would stop talking. And if the color commentator came in, oftentimes there was the Heisman hand, stop. You know, like this is my domain sort of thing. But uh, guys are different. It's, I'll listen to um, like TSN 1200 in Ottawa and Dean Brown and Gord Wilson. And, and Gord, who does color, brings in a lot of stats, right? So... Uh, but I think every play-by-play -play guy now, I mean, you come armed to the teeth with that sort of thing, um, whether you use all those stats or not. And sometimes, I mean, I'll get bogged down, right? I like, you know, I don't do TV that much and I'm trying to impress basically. So sometimes I think I lean on too much of, well, uh, Tomas Shabbat has six assists in a four game streak that he picked up after the two games of injury. And I'm talking about that, the play-by-play -play is going on, right? So there's a, uh, and then in radio, when I'm doing that, um, I should I should be talking more about the play because when you do TV, people are watching and they can see that Shabbat has the puck at the red line. They can't see it on radio. So there's those little little differences that are, are really important. And, and sometimes I have to kind of recalibrate and, and remember <laughs> what I'm there to do. Yeah. Um, just we, we have a we have some fun questions for you before, before right. we get to those. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, just looking back at your career, like what are some things that you thought what are some expectations you had going into the industry and then what was different about those expectations just um you know i we yeah, all no, have expectations of what the sport industry is like but what do you you know yeah no i i get you that's a good question i'm i know the first thing that came to mind was that uh and this isn't so much an industry thing but i thought it Every NHL rink I'll go to, I'll have a really good vantage point and everything will be set up nicely. That's not always the case. Uh, I tweeted a picture a few years ago. We were placed behind a beam 
uh, in Boston. Uh, in Colorado, we were actually, because their owner put in, he expanded his private suite, so it squeezed out a couple of the rooms that were uh, right in the middle of the rink for the media. So I was actually behind the goal line at one end of the ice, and I thought, you know, I've called a lot of games. I've called junior B games. I've called midget games. I've never had a, a vantage point this terrible. So uh, things like that uh, certainly happen. Not to say that everything isn't isn't first class, but as far as the industry goes, um, it's been a it's always an education in Montreal because there's so many media members, right? And um, you know, a lot of them are battling for the same story and. Uh, Part of my job is is to be the Canadian's beat guy for the radio station. I'm not as aggressive in, in asking some questions that others ask, and, and I like to think I ask good questions, but it's it's funny, too. Like, in the last couple of days, in the last week, it's almost like some media members get personally offended when someone is fired or if somebody they see is mistreated. It's It's a weird dynamic. Like, I don't care enough to – if somebody gets fired – Okay, uh, you know, like uh, Claude Julien, for example. I really like Claude a lot, uh, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over him being fired. He's got another seven million bucks coming to him, right? So I'm not going to, I'm not going to get all <laughs> bent out of shape about that. And I respect him, you know, to the ends of the earth. But it's, it's a funny, and that's maybe not an industry thing, but it's, it's just such a, a funny media dynamic I find in this city. It's so funny you say that. Actually, I was watching um, an interview today with Mark Bergevin because he fired. Um... Stephen yeah. Waite yesterday and I know it's like literally exactly what you said was what was going through my head I I was listening to the reporters ask the questions and I just felt like hey some people are like taking it maybe a little bit too personally where yeah. you know at the end of the day I think it's uh you know it's a hockey decision it's a business decision and um Stephen Waite was also with the team for a long time you know so yeah Stuff like that happens. Yeah, and it's and I'm not trying to rip anybody. It's just not yeah. it's not my style. And there's people who ask tougher questions than I generally do. It's just I don't yeah. feel that that I have to. But at the same time, I, I you know, people are always looking for this ulterior motive or why did he do that? I mean, you know, you know, is the GM. He can make those decisions and life goes on. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, a question that we we had as well, it's it kind of it goes well with uh, you saying that you really um, you know, you like Claude Julien. Is there, is there any like, do you have a list of like favorite players or coaches that you've built relationships with over the years? Uh, well, as far as the players go, and I mentioned earlier that I, I travel with the team, uh, mm -hmm. and there's only, I mean, obviously nobody does anymore, but there's only a few of us who do. So I really feel privileged to do that. But at the same time, I'll have people say, not that you're doing it now, but what's the carry price like? And I'll say, I don't know. I, I you know, I'm the last thing I am is a fanboy, and I'm not going to go and, and bug those guys on the road uh, to try and so I can call my buddies and say, "Guess what? Gallagher said hello." You know, I'm just <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not going to do that crap because I don't care. Um, but I mean, I mentioned Gallagher. Uh, he is someone that I don't I don't have a relationship with him or anything like that. But I think over time, there's I just because I've been there so long, I think there's kind of a you hope there's a respect that uh, I try not to ask stupid questions. Every once in a while, one will come out, and it might not be great. Uh, but I think they, I think they appreciate that and they understand it. But I, with Claude, I had a good relationship. I mean, he, you know, confided in me a couple of times uh, on the plane. He asked me a couple of questions on what the media was thinking about certain players, and 
you know, I felt good about that. Again, not quite can say, Claude asked me a question, but it was just sort of a professional <laughs> thing where I thought he knows I'm not going to go to Twitter and say, guess what Claude said about this guy, yeah. <laughs> right? So, but though those guys are good. Um, I could sometimes, this is funny too, Dom Ducharme is the head coach now, as we know, the interim head coach. And I was in Halifax when he was there. I, I was at his first press conference when they hired him in 2011. And I'm, I don't like to bother people much. So we used to do Moosehead's games, and I should have gone into his office before every game to ask him questions just so I could get more in tune uh, on what was going on. But I, I just didn't want to bother him. Now he gets a job, and I'm thinking, man, I should have gotten close to that guy. That would have helped me right now. But uh, that's just not who I am. So, But it is a, an interesting kind of a, a dynamic. I mean, I knew Drew and I a little bit too from those days, but, you know, we don't – we never say – we don't say much. And it's just – if this – if I was in Arizona where four people cover the team, then it would be different, right? I'm sure I'd have a better, a close relationship with the players, but I don't now, and that's 100% fine with me. Just picking up on on something you said, like what type of, and you don't have to answer this, but what type of questions do what the coach ask you, or, or why is he asking you those questions? Does he, you know, um, just out of curiosity, like how much do they care about what the media is saying? Like what is the strategy behind that? No, it's probably just to get an idea of what, you know, what we think, what our perception is uh, in relation to maybe what his uh, perception is, right? It's just, I think, bouncing things off of somebody. And um, yeah, so, I mean, it didn't happen all that much, but it was uh, every once in a while you'd kind of would get that. But again, I... If if I would ever talk to someone like that around the team at all, I, I... I don't ask them questions uh, about hockey. Uh, I would, you know, maybe ask how how your kids are and that sort of thing. I just, everybody's under the spotlight so much here. I don't want to be another guy to try and get some inside information just so I can be the first to tweet something. Although that, mm-hmm. you know, that works for some people. That's just not yeah. good for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, another little fun question for you here. What are some of the your favorite cities um, that you've traveled to, or at least favorite cities that you've traveled to? Uh, Vancouver for sure. Uh, my closest friend lives there and, and when we go, we're always there for two or three nights. It seems, I mean, it's beautiful. And, uh, I lived there for a while. I said earlier as a security guard, that's where I was a security guard in Vancouver, making $7 and 10 cents an hour. And, uh, so that is one, um, I mean, New York City is always interesting, but you can take it for about two days, and then I have to get out of there. Uh, so as far as cities I don't like, and I'll throw you, here's one that I like that maybe not a lot of people would say. I like Columbus a lot um, because it's just, it's small. There's a good feel to it. And cheap drinks too because there's uh, university <laughs> students there. So that's that's kind of cool, and it's convenient. It's close to the hotel. Uh, you know, Winnipeg, you, you freeze to death there, but it's, it's a great place to call a game. It's a smaller rink. You're right on top of everything. So, you know, it's, it's tough to, to pick a city that, uh, that I really don't like. And, and I always remind myself, even if it's, you know, we're somewhere and the weather sucks or whatever, I always say, yeah, shut your mouth. You're in the NHL. You're getting on the charter after the yeah. game. So just relax a little bit. Would you ever get the life scared out of you when Columbus would fire the cannon? <laughs> Every time, uh, you know, it, it's hard to get used to. You know, it's coming. I mean, Sergio, yeah. Sergio was going to kill the guy one night. The night they uh, Columbus beat the Canadians ten nothing, right? Oh, so it's God. just, it's just like enough. But I'll tell you what's terrible is, uh, is the horn in Ottawa, um, and the Bell Center one's not much better. But doing the games remotely when they're in Ottawa and that horn goes off, it just there's no need of that. And you know what? Coming to think of it, I love Ottawa as a city, but. 
to go all the way out to Canada in a dated arena a little bit, yeah, it's not one of my favorites. Mm. I'm sure I'll take heat over that, but I, I don't mind. It's fair. <laughs> yeah, we can cut the, that part out. No, I don't any, of the, any of the toothless hillbillies watching will uh, really give you it on Twitter. Um, That's okay. <laughs> so That's what it just is. A, uh, one of our final questions here before we wrap up. If you were starting out today, um, based on what you know, what is something you would try to do to make it into the sport industry? What is a piece of advice or, you know, something you would do yourself? Well, when I was about 22, uh, I went to broadcasting school that I mentioned earlier, and uh, I got to cover a celebrity golf tournament in southwestern Nova Scotia, and Ron McLean was there. And I asked him that question, and he said, work. He said, you know, he, he talked about... Uh, volunteer work that he did in the industry when he was young and how it helped him. He just said, whatever you can do, if they pay you, great. If they don't pay you, well, you can live with it. And honestly, that's what I did. Uh, and when I, I mean, when I started with Eastlink, I can remember I was making 75 bucks a game. And uh, there were times before that, that I wasn't getting paid at all, but I didn't care. I mean, I was younger and I was enjoying it. And I thought, this is cool. I'm doing, yeah, it's cable TV, but it's TV. And it, it gives me a good opportunity, uh, to get better. So, yeah, I think that would be it. I mean, I, I've had guys ask me that if you want to, if you want to do play by play and, you know, go to a, go to a university game, sit in the stands, do play by play in your head, you know, like do it off the TV. I, I don't might sound silly, but uh, how else do you get started with it? So it's just, don't be, don't be scared to work. Don't be scared to work for nothing, but not forever. Don't let people take advantage of you either. Yeah. Two so. weeks ago, actually, I think it was a week or two weeks ago, Ryan and I were, um, we threw up a, an inst uh, a YouTube live stream and we did, um, you know, play by play and color commentating yeah. for it was uh, the game after the Sens uh, came back against the Leafs. So it was the right. game that the Leafs won 6-2, I think. Um, and something that was really difficult for me was trying to figure out, you know, um, well, A, each, like saying each proper player's name when they have the puck because sometimes i can't really tell like i'll have to rely on are they lefty or are they righty when i can't yep. see the number yep. so a question i have for you is like what's going and i was thinking about this when you were doing the winnipeg game last week um you know what's going through your head when you're calling the play how do you know what to say how do you know like what not to say you know yeah i i think uh actually somebody asked me that this morning i i think a lot of it is just it's almost like muscle memory because I've done it so much and I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but there's times where, <clears throat> pardon me, I'll say something and I'll, you know, I'll, whatever it is, uh, I'll, I'll speak for a minute or whatever. Maybe the action is hot and heavy and then it'll end and I'll think, where did that come from? You just kind of open your mouth and there it is. So over time, it, you just sort of develop some sort of a, a style and, uh, I think it is important too to go back and, and look and listen and, and look what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> that, that's tough for me too. I mean, the, the senators have those reverse retros or, or is it retro reverse, whatever the hell it is. And, and they don't look bad up close, but you look at them on a TV screen in the studio and the numbers are really hard to, to discern. So you, you, there's little tricks like, you know, the line combination. So if yeah. somebody on the left wing and I can't see him, but I know who the center and the right winger are, I can pretty much figure out who it is. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's not easy. And I've, even when I started this job, the play was so much faster from where I was coming from, even in the buildings um, and not calling games off TV. It was, it was tougher at first, but you, you just kind of, 
learn to compensate and learn to um, maybe anticipate where the puck's going to go. But that's the fun thing, too. It's always a challenge. I used to host uh, when I started in TV a lot, and I, I didn't mind it, but to me it became cut and paste after a while. But when you do play-by-play, it's always improv, right? It, it's it's just always a challenge, no matter if it's a – you know, sometimes the slower games are more of a challenge because you're trying to make it not sound interesting, but you try to sound engaged. So that's part of the fun. It's always uh, – it's never easy. I'll put it that way. How does – um, and how does, like, call and play-by-play on – you know, on radio differ from doing it on TV because on TV you can you can see the action. You kind of know you don't have to be as descriptive. I would I would imagine is that the case? That is the case. So I mean, last night when I'm calling the TV game, I, I have to remember instead of saying now here comes Kachuk up the left wing and neutralize. Well, here comes Kachuk. Will do right mm-hmm. uh, because people can see that it's not wrong to be descriptive because I'm not lying, but. Um, <laughs> It's, we talked about the crowd earlier, too. It's tougher to, to be quiet for a while uh, when there's no crowd. And it's, it's hard whenever you're on, if it's on radio or whenever you're broadcasting. Silence, it, it's a hard thing. You have to be pretty confident with it. I was watching um, Gord Miller call a game in Ottawa the other night, and he's just kind of early on letting, letting the play go. Like, not for long stretches, but you, you become self-conscious when – the play is happening and I think oh, I should step in here and say something, but you know what? It's, it doesn't sound as sparse as it actually, it, it sounds worse in your head than it is if you're watching, if that makes sense. And last night, something happened that I thought was cool. The puck went into the corner. There were four players there and the puck was frozen. And I knew the referee was looking from behind the net. And I thought, we're, he's going to say something in a minute. So I just didn't say anything. And the ref said, it was Eric for He said, we're not, I'm not going to blow this dead boys. And it was good sound, you know, but it's, uh, I think you have to be comfortable and confident enough to not say things at times as hard okay. as that could be. Yeah. I remember I was watching the, uh, the Lake Tahoe game and I forget who it was who was doing play by play and the color commentating, but it was Vegas and Colorado when, when it started, I mean, they had the game delayed and everything, but they yeah. said, we're just gonna, we're going to hold off a little bit and let you hear the, the action. Cause it was, you know, it was that beautiful day and they, just let the audio from the players uh, um, through the, you know, through the TV. So I find that was very interesting. It is. But then I get scared and think, well, if we do that too much, people are going to figure out they don't need people like us. So (laughs) I I need a job. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Look, Dan, this has been uh, fantastic. We really, really appreciate you coming on um, and joining us again as our first ever guest on our podcast. So, uh, I mean, I don't really know. This is my first time wrapping up an interview. Ryan, (laughs) do you have anything? (laughs) I just want to say thank you, Dan. It's um, I I grew up listening to you on the radio so much. I used to play hockey a lot, and so after my hockey practice, after my hockey games, would always be on in the radio. So, oh, cool. um, Very, very cool to to talk to you and get to know you. My pleasure. If you ever need me again, let me know. And if you ever want to send me anything, uh, send it. I'll critique it. Just don't be better than me because I'm not going to listen to it if you're <laughs> Well, we'll send you an episode of our, our – we released a new episode this morning. Um, it was one of our better ones, actually. Only 10 minutes, yeah. so you can take a listen to that. I uh, I think there's something to like about it. So. Sounds yeah. good. So, Sam, are you an honorary New Brunswicker? I'm just wondering. I guess so, yeah, by blood. I got to yeah. be. I've only ever been once, though. <laughs> Fredericton, right? Yeah, Fredericton. Yeah, well, get back there. It's uh, What do they call it? Uh Oh, Freddie, 
can't remember. There's a cool nickname, but uh, yeah, good part of the world, good people there yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm sure my dad knows the nickname. Probably. <laughs> he probably gave them the nickname. So <laughs> he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Said yeah. on the air one day, and it must have stuck. Probably. Oh, it's press box chatter in ten minutes.